The flight deck is made possible by the generous donors supporting the Museum of Flight. You can support this podcast and the Museum of Flight's other initiatives across the United States and the world by visiting museumofflight.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. I am your host, Sean Mobley. The museum regularly hosts fascinating speakers in public programs. Astronaut, mountaineer, doctor, and all-around really cool guy Scott Perezinski recently stopped by the museum to share some of his stories. I had the opportunity to sit down with Scott before his program for a one-on-one chat about meeting your heroes, his Star Wars nerddom, and how the Boy Scout law comes in handy when you're hooked into a robotic arm on a spacewalk hurtling 4.67 miles per second, hundreds of miles in orbit around the Earth. So, you know, just another day at the office for an astronaut. Scott Perzinski, thank you so much for being here today for coming to the Museum of Flight and sharing a bit more of your story. Thrilled to be back here. Right? This is one of the great museums of the world. Yeah, well, I <laughs> appreciate that. And you've seen a lot of the world, so I, I take that. <laughs> yeah, I've been very, very fortunate to both see it, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, in the stratosphere and then, uh, you know, well above it as well. So I was know. really intrigued about your childhood. Uh, you're an Eagle Scout. Right. I'm an Eagle Scout. Terrific. Yeah. And I thought I had it hard enough, my dad in the Navy, moving every two years. Your childhood, <laughs> you were all over the place, Africa, Europe, the Middle East. How did you fit a, an Eagle project into that with the Revolutionary <laughs> Guard taking over Tehran and all this? Like, It, yeah, it, was, it was it really interesting. So I had uh, about uh, three and a half years in Athens, Greece. And so that's when I did the bulk of my scouting. And um, yeah, I, I think it was one of the best things I could have done with my time. You know, the I hearken to those years as really setting the stage for me, um, being able to set lofty goals and then achieve them. And I don't know how it was for you and your path to Eagle, but, uh, you know, when you have such a, a faraway goal, like becoming an Eagle Scout, you have to break it apart into manageable piece parts. Otherwise it, it can be really intimidating. And, and that's why so many people, uh, young, young boys quit the process because it's, it's such a, an arduous path. But if you can sort of see it at one merit badge at a time, one service project at a time, or as I like to talk about in the context of mountaineering, you know, one rope length at a time, or even one step at a time on your way to the summit of Everest, you can achieve lofty goals. Right. Literally footstep by footstep in some of these things. That's right. That's right. Growing up, you idolized a lot of the Apollo missions, the Apollo astronauts, and and they say you should never meet your heroes. And yet you became the physician for one of your heroes. Well, what a a godsend that was to actually get a chance to know John, not only as a a crewmate, but also a close friend. And uh, to to share the cosmos with the the Mercury astronaut who opened up uh, space for for Americans. It was, you know, a dream come true. I, like I describe it often, uh, like getting a chance to play basketball with Michael Jordan, you know, to be in the game with the best of the best. So we, we miss him dearly. He, he unfortunately passed about a year ago at yeah. age 95, but uh, what an incredible American he was. You know, I would say one of the greatest Americans of our time. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually saw that launch in person Kind of. My dad was stationed in Jacksonville. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So I remember we- STS-95. Yep. We Mm -hmm. watched it on the screen and then went outside to try to catch a glimpse (laughs) of it during the school day. 
Terrific. And, and that yeah. was about when my infatuation with space started. Mm-hmm. So you were there at the start. You, I guess. Well, you're, you're making me feel old, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> we always would joke with John that he was kind of a space rookie because when he flew on Mercury, he could barely experience weightlessness. He was inside of his Mercury Friendship 7 capsule, but all he could do is really kind of loosen up the, the harnesses in his, uh, in his spacecraft and his arms would float, but he couldn't really float freely and he had limited visibility outside of his capsule. So he didn't like it very well, but we called him a rookie. We had one other rookie on the flight, Pedro Duque from Spain. Spain, who's going to become the very first Spaniard in space. We, we nicknamed him Juan Glenn, which we thought was pretty <laughs> clever too. But uh, on the on the launch, we did prank John pretty good. Uh, you'll have to read the book to, to <laughs> see how it ends. On, on the note of pranks, one of the things that as we've developed our Apollo exhibit here that's come up, uh, especially with the old Apollo astronauts, was the, the Turtle Club. I'm curious, <laughs> yeah. was that still a thing? When it you was. Were- yeah. In fact, I I believe it still exists. I don't get down to Clear Lake very often anymore, but uh, I live in Houston still. Uh, but it's a you know just a, a bar right on uh, Clear Lake, right outside the gates of the Johnson Space Center. Yeah, Clear Lake is a real misnomer as well. It's more like a Brown Lake, Muddy Lake. <laughs> Nothing clear about it. You quote Gus Grissom in your book talking about mm-hmm. the conquest of space being worth sacrificing lives. Why do you think it is worth it? What do you say to people who are a bit more naysayers? Why are we spending all this money doing all this stuff? First, I would say, Sean, that we don't spend very much money on space, and I think we ought to be spending more. You know, investments in high tech always return incredible investments uh, to our economy, to to new jobs, new industries, uh, even new inspiration for young people to have a a place to go. And I think it's human destiny and part of the American fabric to be explorers, to push the the boundaries of of what's possible. You know, America leads, at least we, we need to continue to lead. So we only spend about uh, half of a penny of every tax dollar on the space program in total. So that's everything from the International Space Station to aeronautics and and many other things that that NASA does. So it's a very small amount of money, but the rewards that our country gathers from that is just phenomenal. You know, I'm I'm a physician by by training. So when I go into an ICU or an operating room, I see all the sensing systems, the materials, the uh, the informatics that hearken to the uh, evolution of the space program in the early days. So um, we got to we have to keep keep pressing the boundaries uh, as a nation. I think. Well, and it doesn't help that every new administration, NASA gets a new charge and yeah it, it, this this uh, redirecting of uh is really counterproductive you know i think we need to really be clear that our ultimate destiny is to get to mars what's the most logical way to do that and let's just fund it in whatever way that we can is it going to take 10 years 15 20 30 years let's start you know set sail now and instead of you know kind of redirecting each time a, a new president gets elected. It's really costly, I think, for our country. And um, yeah, there, there will be other countries, in, including China, that will have ambition to uh, to beat us to it if yeah. we're not smart about it. And private companies, just the news, uh, this will probably date our recording a little bit, but mm-hmm. just the news now is Boeing is saying that they'll be the first ones to get to the moon and Elon Musk responded... <laughs> Do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's great to have competition. You know, competition is kind of the American way as well. And so I love the fact that, you know, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, you know, of Blue Origin and uh, and Boeing and and other major uh, space companies are competing now. It's not just, you know, large government contracts, but actually private enterprise. And it's also really exciting that 
there are these human spaceflight companies, SpaceX, Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic, that are going to be taking many thousands of people up mm. into space in the not too distant future. So let's talk about your uh, billion dollar sewing job. <laughs> you <mentioned laughs> yeah, yeah. And you go into it in a lot of detail in the book, so I'm not going to ask you to retail, I think three chapters, very well put together. Thank put you. On, uh, STS-120, when the solar panel on the space station did not deploy properly, mm -hmm. got torn, mm -hmm. and you, you were the one going to fix I was it. the chosen one. Yeah, I was what, the best day on the job ever, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> what surprises people the most about that story? Uh, I think the uh, the audacity of it, mm -hmm. the fact that we were going out to do something that was never designed to be serviced, you know, a, a live solar panel that could shock you out at the very tip of the space station where we don't have the ability to really visit we had to invent new robotic arm systems that would actually allow us to reach there. We had to develop new procedures to work on it. We had to develop new robotic trajectories to get me out to the tip of the space station. We had to uh, accept a higher degree of risk because the rewards were so important to save that solar panel so that we can complete the International Space Station. So there's so many different driving forces there that all played out perfectly. And do I, I like to you know really champion and and celebrate the the men and women who, who made it all possible. It was really one of NASA's finest hours, you know, sort sort of an Apollo 13 experience where we had to develop a, a, a repair capability within 72 hours, or we we're going to go out and throw away a billion dollar solar panel. And NASA always rises to the occasion. They take these things that are almost impossible and they develop brilliant solutions and make it look almost easy even yeah. though it, it's not at all. Yeah. You're involved in the Challenger Learning Center? I was the uh, the chairman of the board of the National Challenger uh, Center for Space Science Education, really uh, one of the most wonderful STEM education groups in the world. Uh, we see 400,000 school kids every year around the country and in other countries. And uh, yeah. so- Including right here. Right here in Seattle. One wonderful of the things program. that I appreciate about it is what you touched on. Um, people who think of, the space program, they just think of the astronauts. And one thing I've learned mm -hmm. with the Challenger Learning Center myself is it is a team effort. It's you're, a team sport. You're really not in control when you're the astronaut. Absolutely and you, not. And again, you are. Well, you know, so you're, you may be, you know, quite visible in the process, but it's, you know, a team of thousands of people for each and every mission. It's the scientists, the engineers, the, uh, the instructors, the flight controllers, um, the suit technicians. There's so many aspects that go into successfully conducting a mission. It's very, very difficult, and uh, no one can do it alone. Yeah. I enjoyed reading uh, the the pieces about you going out there. I kept envisioning you as the ultimate Eagle Scout out there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he's being thrifty. They're using all the, the different arms in different ways. Is Star Wars music played yep. a big part in that story. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but I'm curious. Have you been seeing the new Star Wars movies? I have not seen the most recent one, but you know, my our family loves Star Wars. You know, I, we, I get asked all the time, Star Wars or Star Trek, we're definitely a Star Wars family, <laughs> but uh, I've not seen the latest and greatest. We were able to fly Luke Skywalker's uh, lightsaber on my la last trip up into space. So really kind of cool to, to take that up into space and then after the mission, present it back to George Lucas. Right. So that was a really... Cool treat for not only our crew, but my son Luke got mm -hmm. a chance to actually do the presentation. Yeah. <laughs> that music seems to resonate very much with you. Yeah, you know, the opening sequence, just kind of the star field, and it it you know, it's an uplifting, kind of inspirational piece. And uh it it was music that was played for me right before the last uh spacewalk of my career, that that solar ray repair uh that you mentioned. So uh, it was a great way to start the day. 
Well, Scott Perzinski's book, The Sky Below, is is out and available now. You're doing some interesting things with ebooks. I saw uh, yeah. with the with this edition. It's an amazing way to experience this book in particular. It's the very first memoir done in Kindle in Motion, and what you're able to do, depending on what you download on your Kindle device or on a iPad or, or laptop, you can actually switch it over to an immersive version of the book. And so there are embedded videos, there are schematics, uh, additional imagery that are not in the printed book. And so if you, if you really wonder what it looks like to actually arrive on the summit of Mount Everest or float out on your very first spacewalk, you can actually see the video right there. It's really powerful. Yeah. And we didn't even cover all your other adventures, Mountaineer and, and everything. So it's an excellent book, Scott. Thank you so much for being Thanks, here. Thanks, Sean. Thank you for joining me on the Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. Scott's book is available, among other places, in the museum's gift shop. If you want to walk in Scott's footsteps, next time you visit the museum, walk around in our Space Shuttle Full Fuselage Trainer, a full-scale NASA mock-up used by the Space Shuttle astronauts to prepare for their missions. You can walk around in the cargo bay. It's, it's really cool. You can find more information about the trainer, our online gift shop, and more through our website, museumofflight.org podcast. Make sure you subscribe to The Flight Deck to stay up to date on our episodes, and please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded it from. You can contact me at podcast at museumofflight.org. And until next time, this is your host, Sean, saying we'll see you out there, folks. <laughs> <laughs>